That's right, that's right. Hello and welcome to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. Lawyerish is a safe place to learn, grow, inspire, and be inspired. So come along and ride on this fantastic voyage. Let us go be great together. I'm Brandon J. Wallace Esquire, and I'll be your captain. It's a whole vibe, and I sure am glad you're here. This podcast is brought to you by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. Today's Voyage Vibe is brought to us by Fred Hammond and Radical for Christ. The song is When the Spirit of the Lord, and that's off his 1996 album, Spirit of David. Let's jump right in to Duly Noted. All right, and Duly Noted this week, we absolutely must talk about Mr. Amir Locke of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Body cam footage was released showing Amir, a 22-year-old black man, asleep on his brother's couch when police entered the apartment yelling, police search warrant. They entered the apartment using a key, which they obtained as a result of what is called a no-knock warrant. A no-knock warrant allows, just as it sounds, allows authorities to enter a home or a dwelling to conduct a search or make an arrest without knocking or announcing themselves or their purpose. Now, uh, these warrants are designed uh, or permitted because they they argue that um, warrants these sort of warrants are needed to prevent the loss, destruction, or removal of objects of of that search right of, of the subject matter of the search warrant, or to protect the safety of the searchers or the public right and or the public. Now, we all know um, from recent protests and the repetitive nature of stories like this, um, like like Amir Locks or, you know, Breonna Taylor's or Dante Wright or George Floyd or uh, Tatiana Jefferson or Philando Castile or Alton Sterling or Michael Brown. Too many others to name. We know that this is an issue and it seems our country is at a peril, uh, as a, at a crossroads, and, and really doesn't want to deal with this issue. But y'all, you know I'm going to keep it 100%. I am uh, sick of this ish. Sick of it. Now I'm all for public safety, and in general, I am here for police. I have several close friends who are in law enforcement, close friends and brothers, uh, who are in law, law enforcement, and I want them to come home safe every night. Sometimes I I fear um, the alternative. However, I look at um, Amir Locke and I think, you know, I want to go home safe too. I want to be home safe and I want to be at home safe. I want to be safe in my home. And I want that for you and all all of us. We deserve that. Um, And the, the problem is that that I could be that Amir Locke and so could you. I, that could have been sleep on my brother's, that me sleep on my brother's couch at 6.45 a.m., um, waking up to people screaming in my face uh, and not really knowing what's happening or being discombobulated. I mean, my goodness, sometimes I wake up and I need a minute to gather myself. I have to wait, where am I? <laughs> what day is it? Uh, am I late for work, right? That's <laughs> Am I late for school? Um and so I can understand that uh, dilemma of, of this 
uh, of Mr. Locke being asleep and being uh, woken up out of his sleep that way. And I can kind of understand the position of the police officers as they um, they see someone holding a gun, right, or about to grab a gun. And I think the story is that uh, he Amir was sleeping, the police came in, and he uh, either had a gun close, he probably had the gun close, close by or was holding it. We don't really know that. I haven't seen that. Um, but we can see in the video that he does have a weapon in his hand. And um, again, I think that's totally, uh, could be certainly understandable if someone's barging into your house um, in the middle of the night or middle of the morning, uh, your first instinct for most of us, for some people, is to protect yourself and your family. And so if you have the means to do that, I, I don't see, um, I see, I don't see that as abnormal behavior. Uh, the problem is the, the no-knock warrant in the first place. Um, I think that's the issue uh, for me, at least in part. But I think officer-involved shootings are, are mishandled in America in most places. And I think we've got to streamline it. So what do we do? How do we address this issue, um, this issue of police violence and civilians, um, unarmed civilians or even armed civilians being killed without justification, right? Um, and the short answer is I don't know. I do have a theory, though. I do, I do think, and I've been thinking about this for years. I remember uh, when uh, Mr. Castile died and you know, that weekend I was troubled and, and I ended up doing, um, you know, some work after Michael Brown died as well, just research and reading on some of this stuff. And so, I don't know, I've got an idea of what I think should happen. And, and I don't know, I'm interested to know what you think as well. So what do you have to say after you hear what I have to say? Let us know at lawyerish uh, at apexgroupdc.com. Number one, I think all officers got to have uh, body cams. And within 48 hours of an in incident, uh, body cams has got to be made available to the public. Uh, no questions asked, no edits. It's just got to be made available to the public. And all officer officers should have them. I think any officer involved in a shooting must be investigated uh, by an independent and outside investigator or prosecutor or agency. Um, I think that has to happen just to maintain the appearance of fairness, um, and hopefully just sort of ensure that justice happens. Anytime there's an officer-involved shooting, particularly when uh, when the shooting results in death, there's got to be an investigation, in-depth investigation that's conducted by an outside party, not the local prosecutor, not an internal investigation from the police. That doesn't work. We need an outside uh, agency or person or prosecutor to, to conduct that investigation. Uh, number three, I think we've got to have civilian review boards over uh, the police and they should have authority to, to bench or fire bad police officers. I think we've got to have civilian control of our military as we do in America. And then we've also got to have civilian control of our police force. And we do have that because the police uh, reports, uh, the police report to the mayor. However, I think um, the citizens need to be more involved in a day to day uh, sort of oversight of uh, of our police forces. Number four, I think uh, there's got to be better training for officers to require de-escalation tactics. I think that has got to happen. They're doing that right here in Washington, D.C., and kudos to uh, to the police and the, and the captain and the mayor 
uh, for doing that. I think there's also uh, got to be mandatory re reporting requirements for misconduct and illegal activity by police. Um, and so that would require other police officers when they see or hear of misconduct and illegal activity, they have to report it. And if they don't, there's got to be some kind of criminal or financial penalties for the officers who don't report. Um, something like losing their pension, being fired, losing their job, or maybe even facing jail time if they don't report. I think that's something that's got to be written up and that's got to be enforced nationwide. And then I think finally, there's got to be a complete ban on no-knock warrants. Uh, at least they shouldn't, at the very least, they shouldn't be able to be executed with live ammunition. I mean, that could literally be anybody. I could be taping right now. And if my door opens, uh, you know, it's a problem, right? And I, I might jump to defend myself, not knowing what's going on, especially if I was asleep in the in the dead of night. Um, so I think, it, first of all, I think no, no knock warrants are, are, should not be allowed. They should be banned in general across the board. But I can understand the, the need for them as well, because we want pro crimes to be prosecuted and we want officers to be safe when, uh, when they're executing them. Um, and so if we're going to have them, should be banned, if we're going to have them, then they've got to be carried out with uh, non-lethal methods, rubber bullets, um, you know, water cannons, something else. We've got to figure out something else, some other way to do that. Uh, to both keep officers safe and keep people safe in their homes. Anyways, what do you think? That's just my two cents. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, am I off my rocker? <laughs> is this totally unattainable? Anyway, let me know what you think. Again, the email is lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. This has been duly noted. All right, we are back with Lawyer Ish. I am so excited to have my good friend, Ms. Simone Stone Esquire, joining us. Uh, Simone is managing attorney of the law office of Simone Stone, a boutique law firm serving Prince George's County and D.C. residents. Uh, she graduated magna cum laude from California State University Northridge with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. Uh, and in marketing, you got two degrees. Is that is that right? Two bachelors? I did. <laughs> Impressive stuff. Those you got two bachelors before going to attending uh, University District of Columbia, David A. Clark School of Law, where we uh, met and became lawyers together. We we crossed the burning sands of law school together. <laughs> right. right. That's appropriate. That's right. My line sister in the law. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Simone is licensed to practice in the state of Maryland, NDC. She specializes in business law, employment law, and employment discrimination. Uh, Simone, welcome to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. Hey, Say it again. We're just getting a little bit of break up here. I said thank you for having me. I am excited to be here and so proud of you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your support. You are like, you know, we have um, uh, since law school really, you know, been able to really build a relationship, a strong friendship with uh, with you and our families. My mom remembers you. She knows you well, uh, <laughs> follows you. Uh, you've got kids. I know your husband. Yeah. Like you guys, we're tight. I get to come to you to the birthday parties and all that. My little nephews. Uh, <laughs> Say it again. 
I said, I your Uncle Brandon, Brandon to the kids. That's right. That's my one of my favorite titles, I got to tell you. <laughs> okay, let's get into the nitty-gritty uh, of why we're here today. Uh, you have a specialty in employment law, employment discrimination, and the people don't know what that is. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what is employment law? What is employment discrimination? What does that even mean? So, okay, employment law is all of the collection of state and federal laws and rules that regulate the relationship between employees and their employers. Um, so, simply put, it's the laws that protect your your wages, protect you at work as far as your safety. Um, it, it's the laws that determine how you're hired, uh, when you're hired, how much you're going to get paid. All those things. So, so anything, anything related, related to your employment, employment as a whole is, is, is the employment law. Okay. So as an, as an employment discrimination attorney, what is it that you do? Like how would someone even know if they needed uh, your services? And then what would you do, right? What do you actually do when someone calls you? So most people will call me when things have hit the fan, right? When ish has hit the fan. When you're not being paid what you think you're worth, uh, when you're being singled out at work for, you know, whatever reason, your race, your color, your religion, uh, even your, you know, your skills or lack thereof or whatever it is, that's when I get phone calls from people. Age is one of them as well. Right, right exactly. That's when I get phone calls from people saying, you know, hey, I think this is what's going on. Can you help me? Um, so, you know, my first initial step is to go over the issue with the client, a potential client, uh, figure out what is actually going on, and then determine if there's any laws that can protect that client um, against whatever action um, would be taken against them. Okay. And so what can you do or what do you do? So let's say you get a call, right? Someone's being discriminated against because of, let's say, gender, right? Um, they feel they're being discriminated against. What is it? How do you approach that? And then what what would you, what could you do to, I don't know, to enforce the law, right, in that space? Um, so in that example, if somebody feels like they're being discriminated against because of gender, um, I would ask them, you know, simple questions like, why do you feel that way? What What is exactly happening at work that, that makes you feel that way? Do you have proof? Do you have solid proof? They have emails where their boss is saying something about their, their gender or, you know, their sexual orientation or whatever it is. Um, uh, do you have proof? What's going on? Um, you know, how much documentation do you have to back up what you're saying? Uh, are, there are there witnesses, witnesses who have heard or, you know, know of your situation? Um, asking those questions. Also, having sometimes I have to flush out. Sometimes people don't know that it's because of their sex or because of their sexual orientation that they're being discriminated against. Right. They you know? sort of know that they're being that they're being singled out in some way. Right. So something is wrong, but they don't know exactly what it is. So sometimes my job is to help them figure that out. Um, and, and then, then you know, know after that, that my job, job is to decide, you know, read the law, interpret it, and understand, um, help them understand whether or not it is something that they have legal protection against. Okay. And if it is, if let's just say it is, right, they have the proof, they've got maybe a witness or two uh, where, you know, they were 
singled out in the staff meeting, you know, or, um, and there's an email. So then, I mean, you, you have, you do your own work, right? You investigate, you flush it out and you find that there is a substantial proof of uh, workplace discrimination. What do you do? How do you, I mean, so for me, one of my favorite things to do is write a demand letter. Um, write a, write a demand letter. A demand letter. Favorite. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. So, you know, I'll take the evidence that I was given. I'll, I'll analyze the evidence against the law. I put that into a basic a, a memo. I outline everything for the employer, show you, hey, this is the law, and this is what you're doing. This is the proof that we have. And, hey, by such and such date, I need you to correct these things. Um, so, so let's say, it's, like I said, um, it's based on theft. My last, one of my last cases was uh, an equal pay act issue. Um, so this client, um, a female client, she came to me and said, hey, I'm not being paid as much as my male boss, but I'm doing the same. Um, she had all the proof. She had bosses, letters from her boss saying, yeah, you know, I, I, you're doing the work that I'm doing. You're doing... These were former bosses who could vouch for her, um, saying that they that they agreed that she was doing the work that they were doing, but her pay wasn't So you know, I took all of that, put it in this letter, gave it to or sent it to her employer, um, and they ended up after going back We ended up going to mediation um, and mediating the dispute. Ended up giving her a large settlement. She was happy with it, and that's actually one of my Favorite, uh, client's favorite, favorite story out of that. Uh, one, one of the, the most, most successful, successful clients that I've Yeah, that's how we want, that's how you want them to end, right? The, where the right. Client, client gets paid and everybody's happy. Exactly, and it all starts with that demand letter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that is pretty interesting. And I, this is such a critical field because this is like everybody's, you know, business, right? Unless you work for yourself, right? But even if you work for yourself... <laughs> Right. It's still something that you've got to be mindful of, because if you have employees, right, you as as an employer, you know, we have to sort of abide by the law, not sort of. We have to abide by the law. <laughs> <laughs> um, that so many of our like, small businesses, you know, think they can just kind of skirt around these laws because they just work for themselves or, you know, they only have one employee. But if I know, like, there's still laws, state laws, local laws have to abide by. Yeah. And so in general, you know, there are, are, are there things that, uh, you know, significant portion of our audience are entrepreneurs and, and people who are sort of uh, starting small businesses or running uh, large businesses or running other organizations, right, in leadership roles. Yeah. Are there things that that people should in general like know or should not do just our general sort of no nos in the field that you have seen that, you know, if people had known um, that it would have saved them some time and trouble right on the back end, if they was like, no, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Uh, I'd say if you wouldn't say it in front of your mom, don't say it. <laughs> if you wouldn't say it in front of your mom, don't say it. Uh, anything that could be perceived as racist, sexist, ageist, uh, those things, keep them out of your mouth. Um, that's as an employer and an employee. Um, also, be mindful of the things you're doing on company property. Uh, 
Those are the two biggest. Yeah. And okay, so now this is interesting. Now I want to dig a little bit deeper here because I want to know. I think you've got some some uh, some nuggets for us, right? I think in particular you said don't be careful of what you do on company property. Let's can we unpack that a little bit? What do you what's what do you what do you uh, let's unpack that? So one of the, one of the worst things, things is I write this demand letter, letter, right? And I think it's really solid. Send it to your employer and your employer writes back, well, did you know that your client was watching porn on my On the company computer. That's computer. Well, that's why we fired them. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. My client didn't. The client left that part out. They were watching pornography on company computer and on the company time. That is something you want to tell your attorney if you feel like you were wrongfully terminated or something like that, like make sure you're telling us those details um, because they could come back and bite you. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, all too often in, in the law in general, what we, what we find is sometimes our the clients don't want to, are not as forthcoming as they should be. Um, and so, and that comes back at the end and it's like, you know, Tell tell your attorney. Your attorney is on your side. They're your advocates, right? And if you don't tell them, then we can't. If you can't, don't tell us, and we can't prepare for you know the the ish storm. <laughs> you know, most most employment is at will, right? So they don't even have to give you a reason why they fired you. Um, but there are certain laws that employers have to uh, follow. And if you feel like you were being discriminated against and that's why you got terminated, things like that will work in your favor, um, you know, trying to get you your job back or trying to make you whole as far as getting you compensation for being wrongfully terminated. Um, but things like that, not telling me that you were watching porn on the computer or other things like that, that can come back and bite you in the end. And you don't want that. So be honest with your attorney. But thank you for that. I sort of the idea there, I think, is what you just st- stated was that, uh, you know, you've got to make sure that you communicate with your attorney uh, okay. so that we can prepare for the contingencies. Um, so that's great. I appreciate that. Um, that is that's great information. Uh, anything else you just want to sort of share any nugget that you want to share in regards to the field of law? I've got a couple of other questions I want to ask, but I want to give you an opportunity to just give any sort of other counsel before we uh, move to the sort of the last phase of our chat. Okay. Okay. So So just just remember remember that your attorney attorney specializes in certain certain things, things, and and that that is the thing that you want to bring to those those questions that they're they're prepared prepared to handle. handle. Um, Just because because we're attorneys doesn't mean we handle everything. Yeah, absolutely. You want an expert. Absolutely. You know, I think that's such a good point. And I think that's actually what, what you're talking about is part of the reason why why we created this show, right? Because I want to highlight that and highlight uh, attorneys doing different types of law because you know, you, I get those, I get lots and lots of questions about different things that I have nothing to, I don't know anything about. And I'm totally fine. Most of us are fine telling people, look, I, I don't know anything about that, right? But I um, I can help you know, referral. I, you know, so for us at Apex Legal, we take all those calls, right? We want we, we want all the calls. We're not, doesn't mean we're going to take it, but we are sort of a, uh, 
a center for people to 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 come, and then we help to connect them with attorneys who who have a specialty. For example, I mean, you know this already, but for the people, whenever I get employment matters that people, oh, I got fired or uh, this or this question that, I'm calling Simone, right? I'm connecting you with Simone. I know the best person. So. <laughs> what is it, say it again? It's been great. <laughs> she says, I've been great to her. Remember, let's say it one more time, just in case. That... <laughs> no. Now, look, I've got to get to what this big thing. I, people have been asking about this, and I, I, I get questions about this all the time, and I think you're the perfect person to ask about it. It's the vaccine mandate, right? This is a big thing that's happening all around the country, and people want to know, uh, can they lose their job? Can their boss rightfully fire them if they decide not to get vaccinated, right? This has been a divisive issue. It continues to be a divisive issue in our country, unfortunately. Uh, but what what guidance can you give, or what uh, what what's your thoughts on that? Can 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 someone be fired if they decide uh, not to be vaccinated? So I'm gonna get the lawyerly answer, answer right? right? It, it depends. depends. Uh, it depends. It always depends. <laughs> um, so, so recently, the Supreme, the Supreme Court, Court uh, uh, you know, you know decided, decided a couple cases as far, far as the vaccine, vaccine mandate is concerned. And Unfortunately, Unfortunately for us, us what, what they've been, been doing, doing recently, recently is just kind of leaving it up to the states. The, 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 the decisions that they're that making are actually leaving it up to the states to decide. Um, so it's going to depend on the state that you're in, the state that you work in, state your employer, you know, is located in. Um, and it's also going to depend, too, on your sector, right? So not too long ago, the federal sector was requiring everybody um, to work for the federal government to get vaccinated. Um, and with and that with Supreme Court decision, decision, the latest, latest one, one uh, that's, that's not the not case, case anymore. anymore. The mandate is on hold. Um, so, so once federal employees were once required to get those vaccines and did, they had a deadline. Yeah. By, by, even it was like in November, they had to you know, be vaccinated. And then this decision came out and it's no longer required. So people are now, you know, they didn't have to get vaccinated because, you know, there were people that didn't want to that did have, have to at one point, but now don't. Hmm. And then people who were testing weekly who now don't have to test and don't get a vaccine. So the, the testing part was a part of that too. I remember that. It, is that, has that been, is that still in play or what? what's the deal with so, that? No, so, so now it, you don't have to get vaccinated, right? There's no mandate to get vaccinated. There's no mandate to get tested. Wow. Uh, and it depends on your employer now. So like for the private sector, your employer can, depending on the state that they're in, um, they can require you to get tested. They can require you to get vaccinated. Um, there's a handful of states, mostly red ones, I believe Florida, Arizona, Texas, um, that have laws against private industry mandating vaccines. I did see that, right, where this, uh, you can't even, they won't let you a mandate a vaccine for your... Right, right. So it, it, just, it depends where you're at. Yeah. You know, Places like, like here, here, the D.C. area, where it's D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and we're all doing different things, it can be confusing. Yeah, well, that's the United States of America, folks. <laughs> Only in America, right? That's, all that's, all that's, <laughs> you, you really have to, you have to know your state laws. I would say that. You have to know your state laws. 
Um, yes. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So, I mean, the short answer is it depends, right? Uh, <laughs> we always encourage people to get vaccinated, though. Obviously, we want to keep everybody safe. Stay safe, friends. Um, so, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. The last question I, I'd like to ask this question of folks: uh, Is there, you know, part of the audience of this uh, podcast are people who are in law school or uh, thinking about going to law school? Uh, or have always sort of been interested in the field. And I'd like to know if there is advice uh, for future lawyers or future law students that that you have. Uh, you've been through quite a bit, right? You've, uh, gosh, you got married, uh, I think, right out of law school. Uh, you had a baby shortly after that. I mean, you and now you're in practice of law and you've got two, two bundles of joy. <laughs> And uh, doing big things. So, what what do you what what do you offer to someone who maybe would have been you, or maybe is you right now, and still thinking about going to law school? What, what do you got for them? Uh, so, uh, what my administration degree, the, uh, the option that I chose was business law. So, taking that undergraduate those undergraduate courses in the law totally helped me. Okay. One one I knew how to brief already. Um, I knew how to read the law. I knew what casebooks were. I knew all of those ahead of time. So if you, if you're in your college or undergrad school, um, has those options to take any kind of legal coursework, do it. Get prepared ahead of time. Um, and then number two, when you're choosing a law school, choose one that gives you the most money. That's that's my advice. Um, I graduated little to no debt, um, which is not common. Uh, those schools, those schools that, that offer me scholarship, scholarship money. money. So, so they might have been, you know, UDC is a great place, I'm not going to say that, it's not, but it's not Harvard. Harvard. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not, not Ivy League. Yeah. Yes, I had to buy and go to those schools, but it wasn't going to work for me. So your counsel, as I'm hearing, is if you've got the opportunity to take some pre-law classes while you're an undergrad, do that, right? And then... Uh, the second one, when discuss when choosing a law school, right? Choose one that is uh, gonna offer you money, right? Is that that's what I'm here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I will add to that, right? This is your your, your counsel, but I always I'm gonna uh, add on to it, piggyback, as they say. Um, I, I would say I think it's also when choosing a law school, I think you gotta um, you should consider what kind of law you want to practice, right? And I think there are specialties. Certain schools have certain specialties or employment pipelines that are um, that are really valuable. And so if you're thinking about, uh, if you know what kind of law you want to practice, then going to a law school that kind of has a specialty there would be yeah. uh, valuable too. That's, That's actually, actually very, very, so you, so you should look, look at all of those things, things right? right? So look, look, at, look at the specialties that they, that they offer, offer, look at, at the scholarship, scholarship money that they're, they're giving, look at their, their like, alumni, alumni network, network those, those things, things, but, but then decide what to be, what makes most sense. So, you know, you know use, use all those, those factors, factors to determine, but I, I think, think overall you should choose the cheapest school that offers all of those things. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, we are out of time. Thank you so much. Uh, any last words? And also, how do we, how do the people contact you? If I've got, they've got an issue or, you know, want to talk about employment law and employment discrimination, how do we, how do we get to you? So, uh, so you can, so you find, can me find me at simonestonelaw.com, Simone um, uh, or, or I usually I take, take cases, cases by referral. So, so if anybody, anybody contacts, contacts you, 
Apex group, then you'll pass it on. Okay. Well, there you go. There you have it, friends. It's SimoneStoneLaw.com. She's not just taking any clients, so you got to get a referral. Um, but if you if you work with Apex, we'll take care of you, and we'll make sure you get into the right hands. Simone Stone, thank you so, so much. What an honor it is to have you on the show. I'm excited to see you and to, to, to chat with you. I think the people are going to have uh, going to be able to really learn a lot from our conversation today. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And all right. Have, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll be right back with your wellness check. All right. Thanks. All right, friends, it's time for our wellness check. It's one of my favorite parts uh, of the show because we know that wellness is a journey and we must attend to it so it doesn't attend to us. Message this week, I need to unpack self-care. Yes, I know we touched on it a bit in episode one. Just bear with me. I'm going somewhere. You see, I have this theory uh, about the formula for a successful life. Success equals the appropriate balance of challenging the mind, punishing the body, and nourishing the soul. You have to stay with me on the journey for more on the first two. I see you looking at me crazy about punishing the body. But again, I ask that you bear with me. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of self-care. Again, self-care is the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being and happiness, in particular during periods of stress. And that's according to Lexico.com, which is powered by Oxford. But what does self-care actually mean to you? Right? How do you prioritize your well-being and happiness in times of intense stress? Do you exercise or pray, meditate, or clean? Do you get a haircut, a mani-pedi, take yourself to dinner or on a date? Do you spend time with your children or your pets? Do you take walks or journal? Maybe you're in a book club. Do you cuddle or seek intimacy or take hot bubble baths? Do you travel or shop? Maybe you just sit quietly and gather your thoughts. Or if you're like me, you're really off your rocker and you require all of the above and a podcast or two. Well, these practices, friends, whatever they are for you, help to nourish the soul. Unfortunately, when I get busy, I tend to ignore my self-care responsibilities. And as you can imagine, um, that has had the same effect on me as... It would any person starving the physical body, right? I'm tired, burned out, weak, delusional. <laughs> so for our wellness check today, this week, let's be intentional about self-care. Go ahead. Take a moment to think about what your nourishment of the body is. What is your self-care? And of course, there can be more than one. But what is the thing? What are the things? Think about one or two. Just take a second. Go ahead. Now that you thought about something, I want you to take the step, right? Send that email, make the appointment. You deserve it. And even if you don't, remember self-care is a useful tool on the road to recover, to recovery. So what's it going to be for you? How will you nourish your soul this week? I am going to commit to soaking in a hot bubble bath before next week's episode. What's your commitment? 
You know how to reach us. It's lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com, or you can at me on Instagram at bwallyesquire or apexgroupdc. Use the hashtags lawyerish and wellness check. Well, that's your wellness check this week. Until next time, friends, be well. It's time for our Apex Highlight. We are back, friends, and it is time for our Apex Highlight segment. I am so excited, elated to have my friend, my brother, my frat brother, my colleague in the field, uh, one of my very best friends, Mr. William C. Kellebrew IV. Sir, welcome to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. It is an honor. Well, thank you so much for having me, Brandon. I really appreciate being here today. And congratulations to you on an amazing show. You've already done two. Um, They released two, and they've been amazing. I've been listening, and um, I am a fan already. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you for the support. Uh, You know, it's um, it's, we go way back, you and I. I mean, we have been uh, friends since uh, I think I think it was two thousand five. We're frat brothers. Uh, we've been roommates, as I mentioned, I've worked for you. You've worked for me. We've worked together in the field. Um, just really been able to do some amazing things over the years. Um, uh, but I'm excited about your next thing that uh, we're going to talk about today. For those of you who don't know, William Kellebrew just recently departed the Baltimore city health department, where he was the director of the office of youth and trauma services, big job doing lots of great work, especially in this COVID season, uh, seasons uh, of COVID. And now William, you're going to have this new role. You have this new role. You are now the chief of staff for Malden brand, artistic control value content incorporated. Yes, folks, that's Malden brand Inc. Yes, that is Michael Malden, Jermaine Dupree's dad and founder and creator of the Scream Tour, that Michael Malden. So this is huge, William. Huge news for you. Congratulations. And this is like your first time sort of talking publicly about it. Thanks for choosing uh, Lawyerish to do that. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, haven't really talked about it. Uh, it's a new role for me. Just stepped into it uh, at the beginning of February and already diving straight into it. But, I, but I've had a long run of being in the entertainment industry in many different ways. Uh, but to come to it full time at this point, uh, where I, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm bringing on the bacon uh, <laughs> by way of the music entertainment, uh, you know, uh, industry is something different for me. It's very different from the corporate background that I have. Well, uh, but I'm, I'm not excited. I mean, corporate, nonprofit, uh, yeah. you know, public sector, right? Uh, you've kind of done it all. And right. you're able to now, then this has been a dream of yours, right? To be, do this entertainment thing full time. How does it feel, right? This is something you've been working on. You've been sort of, uh, you know, while you had a full time job, you were working uh, with Malden Brand and doing work in the community with him and his brand and, and, and others. How does it feel now that you have been working at this thing, chipping away at this thing for years? I mean, how long were you with the, the health department? Well, I, I was with the health department for about six years. Okay. So I was I was in Baltimore for about six years. And before that, I actually had about five years being an entrepreneur myself. And then maybe before that, uh, having a stint in the uh, civil rights community for about five or six years yep. there, uh, working, uh, you know, to, to, to make change, to, to focus on civic engagement. And now I have an opportunity to culminate all of those things and really bring them to bear here in the entertainment industry, where I think it's very necessary to, to, to bring this background to it, because 
the entertainment industry can be a little loose in terms of the way you know we operate uh but you know you've got to dot your i's and cross your t's and it's so important regardless of what business you're in it's important to have those things done and so i'm i'm glad to be able to bring that background that i have and that um technical prowess or business acumen to a to a space where um, I can blend that with creativity and be that creative I can be as well. Well, you know, you're, we're also talking about sort of your uh, your ability to sort of be trauma informed. I think there's a more uh, there's a more appropriate word for that these days. Um, but uh, you you have this sort of uh, you've had this ability to turn a triumph into tragedy. Uh, I'm sorry, there's shooting going on outside i'm hearing gunshots uh is that is that picking up on i mean that's 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 pretty real i mean this is this is real life i think i probably heard just about 10 gunshots right outside i cannot believe that um i there might be a tragedy happening right outside um and you're talking about tragedy trying goodness about that that was wild um so i'm sorry friends uh this is uh this is the real world okay um, anyways, I, I apologize for that. Um, but you have this um, you have this story. Let's jump right into your story, right? I, I sort of alluded to it a little bit, but you have overcome so much. Uh, friends, let me just tell you, when William was uh, 10 years old in, in, in 1984, um, he watched as his mother uh, and his older brother, 12-year-old brother, were both shot and killed uh, right in front of him. Uh, they were shot by his mother's estranged boyfriend. Um, and, uh, the gentleman put the gun to William's head and William begged for his life before, uh, he let him go. Um, and so William, you have this impactful story where you face down, uh, the barrel of a gun, um, and somehow you survived. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that, about how you survived? How did you, uh, how did you, what happened when you left the house that day, when you, when you were set free from what could have been death? Yeah, you know, it, it was, it was a, it was a horrific situation. Um, and I, and I'm just very grateful and blessed to be able to be alive today, uh, to be able to, to tell this story. Um, many kids, many family members don't actually make it out the house. And two of my family members actually did not make it out the house that day. Um, my mother had five kids, um, and, and, and not only was she killed that day, but one of our siblings. And so we had to leave that room, I think, had to leave that room theoretically, sort of thinking about what would life look like, right? But, but in the moment, that was, a, that was a horrific moment for us. And, uh, you know, the police uh, coming into our neighborhood um, with a barricade situation, um, it took three hours for them to get into the home. And when they did get there, um, they they did find my mom and my brother, and of course my mom's ex boyfriend, who basically told her, "If I couldn't have you, nobody else could." And so uh, my grandmother jumped right in that day, and she she had been going ever since. Um, so she was our care, care caretaker at that point. Yeah, Miss Dolores Short. I mean, one of the most amazing women that you'll ever meet, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And and she's a no nonsense kind of woman too. So <laughs> right. absolutely love her. Uh, I'm looking at in your background, you have a picture of her. It's yeah. you, um, 
your your grandmother, your sister, and the great Oprah Winfrey. So um, I, I was with you, actually. Uh, we were together. We went to that show together. I, I remember yeah. getting the call. At that point, I was working for you. You and I have worked together for two years uh, serving our great fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, we had served our fraternity two years working together. Um, and it was not until the end of my term as international second vice president and the end of your term as uh, associate regional director of the Eastern region that I found out about your incredible life story. I've been working with you. We've been on conference calls. We've been planning. We were in the war rooms together. Uh, we really did some great work, uh, some great coordinating and community work at Sigma. And all this time, I never knew that you were such an overcomer, right? That you were this survivor uh, and after two years, we uh, I started to after I found out your story, I started to work for you, sort of supporting your vision and your uh, sort of managing you in a in a way with uh, Motley Management, and um, and I was able to I was with you. I it wasn't with you when you got the call to come on Oprah, but we went to to Chicago together to to be in that show. What an awesome thing that was, right? So, what was that like? Sort of meeting Oprah. You were actually on with. Uh, Bill Cosby and sort of that's a hot topic issue these days. Uh, so maybe yeah, we'll touch on wow. that a little bit. But how, what was it like sort of meeting Oprah and being with Oprah? What what was that experience like and being on her show? Well, it was very interesting. And and, and I um, it's the funniest thing is when I received an email from Harpo Studios, um, I was I was in England. I was I was I was going to school there um, in Sunderland, England, at the University of Sunderland. And I got that that email, and I had no clue. I, first of all, I thought it was spam, and so I was a I was I took a jog uh, with a lot of international students. Was going to come back to the house, and then I got to the computer, and I was going to going to erase it. And then I just looked at it and said, "Well, let me just read it and see what's going on." And then they said, "You know, dear Will William," and I'm thinking like, "Well, they know my name. That's not too much spam." So let me read through it. And after reading through it, uh, I, I I just found that um, the producers uh, had found out about me through um, through uh, Bill Cosby and Bill Cosby and I had done some work together and uh, he was going on uh, the Oprah Winfrey show to talk about his book come on people right that was right around he's doing these like community town halls this is when like he got in trouble that first time like people he was saying People were saying he was airing um, the community's dirty laundry, laundry, right? Um, And so I guess part of that, part of his response to that was doing these community town halls. And he did one at UDC, right? That's right. He came to my university and they were looking uh, for a student who had an an interesting background and overcomer, if you will. Um, uh, And and, uh, I came to mind by somebody, not many people knew my story, uh, but there were a few people like the director of communications who knew my story, uh, who 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 thought that I might be a you know a, a key person to talk about that, and so I did that was show. That, I'm sorry, was that John Gordon? No, it was okay. uh, it was actually uh, Mike Andrews. Okay, um, John Gordon is yep. a good friend of ours out of UDC who worked in communications as well. They, they, Shout out to they UDC. Sold- Rest in peace. It was a great man. Uh, I thought that might have been uh, the connection there, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. So they they submitted your name as somebody who's got uh, obviously a story to tell, and yeah, yeah. And I got a call, and and um, they they appreciated that, and and so I went on with with Bill Cosby on his show, and so that aired on TV One, and originally they 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 were just going to air, it and it was going to go through the way that it planned, but I then got another call from. Um, 
Art Purnell, who was producing and editing the show for DV1, who said, you know, your story, I want to highlight it more. So I became a feature story of Bill Cosby's. And from that point, uh, you know, just, you know, communicating back and forth with Cosby's folks, you know, and, and, and it was, I had no idea where this was going to lead. And, and, and to know that he, he invited me to come on to the show with him and Dr. Alvin Poussant to talk about his book, uh, um, Come On People. And so uh, being on that show was just just an amazing opportunity. Number one, I think, to bring some attention to to an awareness to domestic violence and the impact yeah. that domestic violence can have, um, but also to 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 see what it could look like when we when we are healing, and uh, and when we are you know, doing great things in our community to to address <clears throat> to address the situation. And so. Um, it was an amazing opportunity to be on the show. But I think one one thing in particular kind of interested me after the show, uh, not just talking with um, um, Dr. Cosby back then, but um, I remember being in, in, in um, uh, Bill Cosby's room, the dressing room, and then coming out of the room. And I ran into Oprah in the hallway. And there was only space enough for one of us to get by. And, you know, so I, I, I stopped her and I, I handed her this book and I said, can you you know, stop right there, Oprah. You know, I was like, you know, you have got to si sign this book. I'm pretty bold. You know, I'll just stop anybody. But I said, you've got to stop right there. You've got to sign this book for me. And she said, well, why? She said, I can't sign that. And I said, why can't you sign that book? And she said to me, it's not my book. <laughs> so <laughs> to taught me something about, you know, copyright <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Why would Oprah sign Bill Cosby's book? <laughs> I bet she's glad she did. In hindsight, you know, <laughs> right. uh, you just don't want to sign books that that's not yours. So she took my hand and said, I won't sign that book, but I'll do this. And she took me to the hallway to grab some photos. In fact, that photo is what she took me to grab. And um, I have another one with just my sister and I, a few photos that we took. But um, my grandmother was not in the photo, first photos that we took. She was actually in Bill Cosby's dressing room um, by herself. And so, um, you know, Oprah's calling out to her from the background. Hey, grandma, where's grandma? Where's grandma to take the photo? And she comes out of the dressing room, Bill Cosby's dressing room. And she comes out and she looks out the door and she sees us standing there. And she says... I can't believe this. And Oprah looked at my grandmother and said, yeah, you can. <laughs> um, so, so, so Oprah is just as real and, and, and a believer as, as she, as, as she is um, in terms of, um, you know, us, us building our dreams and uh, living out our dreams. She, she's, she's that kind of person in person. And she's just been a great, a great support her whole entire team. Yeah. So. It was certainly, it was an honor to like be in that space, right? To, she has an energy about her. She is Oprah, Mama Oprah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a great experience. I, you know, Oprah and I, I told her this, I think at this time too, I said, you know, we're classmates, uh, you and I, because uh, she, she received an honorary degree from Howard uh, in 2007 when I, when I graduated. So I told her, yeah, we're classmates. You, know, you were, <laughs> you were fellow bison. Um but so so I, I think that's such such an interesting thing because we were sort of around that time that I think that was even before our foundation time right eventually you and I got involved uh, in what is the William Kellebrew Foundation right and we we worked I that I was able to serve as executive director for uh, what I think four or five years I think um, yeah great run before there. I went to law school right a lot of people maybe not may not know that I was in the nonprofit world before I, I went to 
to law school and it was, you know, serving at the helm of the William Keller Group Foundation where we got to travel the nation and even the world, like telling your story and talking about some of the, the ways that, uh, that we can turn uh, tragedy to triumph. And I, I just think about all the stories that we've heard, the, uh, you know, sort of the people that we've met over the years. I think about our friend, our surrogate mother, Suzanne Segge, uh, up in uh, Massachusetts, who um, just has, we were able to meet her and it became family, right? We were family um, and, and we are family, right? And so we've just had those sorts of experiences in the, in the foundation and really been able to help people. So William, uh, we're wrapping up here. We're running out of time a little bit here. Um, but I want to get into a little bit about what is next for you in this next phase with Malden Brand. What's your vision? What's your plan? What can you share with us about the the next uh, phase of Malden Brand Incorporated? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I bring uh, a wealth of um, experience, if you will, and maybe even knowledge uh, serving victims of crime and working in a community's where I wouldn't say working in communities, but I would work. I would say that um, working with individuals and institutions and um, agencies that focus on mental health, if you will, and so bringing that um, intersection with the music and entertainment industry is something that I'm really looking at. I'm really looking at that because there is a lot. I mean, look at D- DMX. Look at what's happened to so many artists out there who've had um, either behavioral health issues, whether it be substance use or whether it be mental health challenges and really taking um, that to the inter- into the industry to really work with artists. Because one of the barriers that happens with artists um, is mental health challenges. I mean, think about Robin Williams. Think about a lot of different people having those issues. And so um, Serena Williams, who's talked about it in her past. And so it's important for us to bridge that gap, which I have actually done uh, with Malden Brand um, for, for for many years, um, part-time, if you will. And now I get to talk about it full-time. I get to talk about what I do um, and, and what I've done in my life to affect change in the mental health field to how we can actually bridge that with, with, with what's happening in the entertainment industry. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that either, though, right? You've got the, the sort of public health hat. You've got the nonprofit yeah. hat that you can bring. You've got the corporate yeah. experience as well. So you are able to kind of bring all of that to get together in a way that um, is really is about is about bridge building right and I, I feel that's like right. that's that's your role uh, as chief of staff is really about maintaining the bridges right that's what it, it's kind of that's what I gather when I hear you talk about what you're gonna be doing right yeah well I was I was saying something to uh, to Mike um, Alden um, about about the organization and infrastructure and I, I guess I was saying you know well, this is what we need and this is what we need to do. And he said, well, that's what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> A little reality check. Well, that's why I'm bringing you on. So Correct. You know, it gets, and get to it. So I, I, you know, I bring my experience in strategic planning to, to, to the forefront, because I think that we're going to be looking at the next 100 years as we looked at the past 100 years of uh, what we call the year of uh, the year of uh, black American music, uh, 100 years since, uh, we've had um, some of the greats before us come on the scene and really build Black American music from blues, from jazz, and, and really build it up to what it is today. And so I'm just happy to be along this particular journey. And we are on this mission right now to impact change, good change. And and, and Michael Malden, 
This is Malton Brand. This is this is part of his legacy, and I'm certainly a part of it now. Uh, but he's he's all about the next generation of leaders. What do we do to build that bridge to the next generation, right? So we think about acknowledging our past, as he always says, to inspiring our future. That's really what we are focused on at this point. And so what is that legacy going to look like? You know, so, so deaf is when, when a lot of this started in Atlanta. So in fact, we were just in the studio with L.A. Reid um, a couple of days, uh, a couple of days ago and the great L.A. Reid, which is quite amazing. So yeah. he's been in L.A. for a long time and and he was um, in Atlanta, obviously, after Michael Malden. They came on the scene with Tony Braxton and all of these amazing artists that you heard, heard in the 90s. It's not a song that you won't play on the radio. Um, it's probably you could pick a couple songs here and there, but he's he has been um, a big mover and he has announced his comeback to to Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm hopeful that um, I can uh, be a part of that, continue to be a part of that movement of music um, so so that the next generation has something not only to listen to, but also to 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 take and build on. Yeah. And, and, you know, next week, speaking of sort of building on legacy, next week, you've got the uh, Black Entertainment. Uh, Black, Black, Black Music, music and Entertainment. Walk Say it fame. again. The Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame. Walk of Fame. Yes. OK, thank you for that. Uh, Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame that's happening uh, in Atlanta just next week. I mean, I'm going to have an opportunity to, to work with you again uh, on that project as I have in the past. And so. We're looking forward to that. I mean, do you have uh, some exciting news about that? What can you tell us about this huge event? Yeah, absolutely amazing. This is going to be, we had our installment last year of our first ever inaugural. We had our inaugural inductees, which included individuals, uh, esteemed individuals such as uh, Quincy D. Jones. Um, you you had um, Michael Jackson, uh, Beyonce, so many others. Shirley who, Caesar, Kirk Franklin. Kirk Franklin, um, so many who who were uh, Sean Love Combs, who uh, were Missy uh, Elliott's, yeah, you know this, this is amazing yeah. uh, event to be a part of last yeah. year. So this year it's going to be on February seventeenth. Um, it's going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Tabernacle. But there are two events. One is going to be an outside event with our partner Mercedes Benz, and it's going to be on the seventeenth in the morning from ten to twelve. It's a free event. Come down, watch individuals get inducted, including Lionel Richie, Yolanda Adams, BB Winans, CC Winans, uh, new additions being inducted. And so we have Ray Charles. So the Ray Charles Foundation in the state will be on hand to be inducted. Uh, the mayor of Atlanta is going to be out. And so we have a full show, a uh, full showing there. And then we'll head right over to the Tabernacle, which is a private event, but you can get your tickets online um, at Ticketlocity.com or take a look at on Instagram at um, the Black Walk of Fame. And you'll learn more about what we're doing with, with, with this particular induction. And then we're looking ahead to the induction that's going to happen in June. I can't talk about uh, what's going to happen there, but um, I do have an awesome, uh, amazing opportunity to be part of, um, you know, seeing this selection uh, go down and this process actually go down. And so it's, it's just been amazing to hear so many greats in the industry um, in, in private really talk about the industry and, and be able to think about what does uh, what does this what does what does this mean to um, the music industry? You know, who who has made that indelible mark? And I, I would venture to say that there are many, many people who've made that mark, but you can't put them all, um, give them all their emblems. 
um, all at one time. Yeah, so this will be facing out a little bit, right? <laughs> that's right. This will be a semi-annual um, um, uh, event, and we're looking forward to 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 inducting many, many more over the next few years. And that's what Malden Brand does. Malden Brand works with uh, you know organizations to really build that content. I will say that we've worked with the Black American Music Foundation, the Black American uh, uh, Black American Music Association and the Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame. So all of these organizations are are doing their due uh, diligence to, to to really create that um that content out there that's 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 going to live on in communities forever. And I also mentioned the Georgia Entertainment Caucus because the Georgia, Georgia Entertainment Caucus and the Black American Music Association came together to uh to form this Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame. So so Malden Brand is one of those organizations that really supports this and because Michael's one of the founders uh, we, of course, are in full throttle support for this type of event. event. Yeah, outstanding. Looking it's forward to it. So it was an awesome, awesome event last year and yeah, looking forward for a great, uh, great turnout and great uh, time this year as well. Uh, listen, we are running out of time. My producers are, you know, <laughs> giving me the rapid upside. Uh, so I, I want to I think it just is such a pleasure to have you on. You've got such a unique and dynamic story. Uh, we, we would hope it is, right? It's certainly dynamic, but it's not unique enough, right? There are people listening to this who have experienced similar things or maybe may have just experienced some grief or trauma. Uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you to share just something, some some sort of uh, nugget that maybe got you through some difficult times or what you did to to be able to overcome such great tragedy. And how, do you, how did you overcome that and and you know, get to where you are today. What did you do? What is there something that that you could offer those folks who are um, who are in those spaces that you've been? You know, Brandon, I think about this all the time because I, I, I meet so many people who are going through similar uh, things that I went through as a child. Or I went through as a teenager, even as an adult, yeah. still navigating trauma and the impact is so it, it, it's tough sometimes. Right. Uh, but one of the things that Dorothy Height, uh, Dorothy Irene Height, reminded me of when she was alive uh, was that she she used to say, "Don't let nobody turn you around." Hmm. And although she may have been saying it to an audience and or maybe a small group of us in in the boardroom because she was a board emeritus of of the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, where I worked as a deputy director, she she was just amazing. She she would impart that kind of energy um, just as much as in that room as she did for the 11 pre the, the 10 presidents she actually uh, nine or 10 presidents that she actually advised in her in her lifetime and so she was a special person to me and she always imparted those words don't let nobody turn you around we're going to face barriers we're going to face obstacles but it's important not to discourage yourself uh in getting things done and so so i, I would i would just leave it there that um and i've said that to myself many times don't don't let nobody turn me around. Nobody's going to turn me around. <laughs> so I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep yeah, that's a, I mean, you have a great story. I'm so very proud of you. Uh, Thank you. A great, uh, great transition for you. It's something you've been working hard for, and you, nobody deserves it more than you. I oh. am just so grateful that you've decided to share it on our show and that you've been my friend and my brother for all these years. Thank you so much for your love and support, man. I love you so, so much. Me too, Thank you. Wishing you the best. Eh? That's right.
and I'll see you soon, right? We'll be working together. <laughs> we'll be working together, you know. And uh, as as Oprah told, tells my grandmother, you know, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I receive it and I give it right back to you, my <laughs> friend. All right, that's all the time we have. Thank you. Stick around, friends. We're jumping right into our motivational moment. Okay, friends, it's time for our motivational moment. Remember back in the wellness check, I told you to make that appointment. Well, did you do it? You thought I was playing. Well, I'm not. What's it going to be? A massage? Mani-pedi? Cuddle time with Bay? Go on. Do it. Do it now. Make the appointment. Mark it in your calendar. And if you did, tell us about it. How did you and how will you nourish your soul this week? Use the hashtags wellnesscheck and lawyerish. Add us at bwallyesq and Apex Group DC. Or shoot us an old-fashioned email, lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. That's your motivational moment this week. Now go on and do it. Don't make me tell you again now. Go on. Well, friends, we have done it again. Thanks so much for listening and for watching. This has been Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. It's been another fantastic voyage. Still bumpy, but fantastic nonetheless. I hope you're having as much fun as I am. Don't forget to tell your friends, like, share, and subscribe. Like any voyage, it's always a little bit more fun if you can bring a couple friends along. Shout out to our Apex staffers, Marcel and Juan. Big thanks to my friends, Dash Coordinating and Marketing. And of course, a big thank you to my good man, Keith Jackson and Mad Rabbit for helping to produce and edit this episode. Shout out to Fred Hammond for our Voyage Vibe today. Remember, we're powered by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. Join us next week where our guest will be David Brown Esquire, a complex transactions attorney, and DJ Johnson, CEO of Motley Management, an entertainment management firm. We're holding it down for the brothers next week. You don't want to miss it. Thanks again for sticking with us. Until we meet again, be well, friends.